Hello, and welcome to the Financial Emancipation Podcast. I'm your host, Malik Branch, and this is a podcast discussing the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Hello, and welcome back. So we've been on a bit of a hiatus. Um, It was actually a little unscheduled hiatus. I had to take some time off from recording the podcast um, to kind of just deal with um, some work stuff. I was pretty busy. And as I always mention to you guys, I record the podcast like um, on a weekday. And so when my work schedule gets really busy or crazy, um, it's harder for me to to do that so I decided to take a couple of weeks off um from recording the podcast also last week I was traveling I went to Europe with my godson and so I wasn't able to record last week so I said you know I'm just gonna come back this week once I'm back you know work is kind of calmed down I'm back to work this week all done with vacation tax season is over which is a very important thing I want to mention today and um and so I figured this would be a good time to get back um back on the podcast So welcome back. I apologize for the hiatus um, being unscheduled and I'll do better next time to kind of make sure that if I am going to take a hiatus, I can at least keep you guys up to date. Um, So thanks for sticking with me. (laughs) So I want to cover a few things today since we have been, um, again, on hiatus. The last episode I did was a post uh, Nipsey Hussle's murder episode. Um, I was a little... Um, that episode was a, was a little, was a lot less heavy than I was feeling about it. I tried not to make the episode too heavy, but I did want to, um, mention it and speak to it, how it relates to the financial freedom of our, of, 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 of ourselves and how we can use some of the lessons that he was trying to teach as an example for how we can move forward. So that was the last episode, um, in that, since that episode, um, you know, it's been almost a month since then, um, and again, there's been a lot of conversations and discussions and dialogue about finances and investments and real estate and things that I'm really happy to see um, the hip hop community discussing, to see younger people discussing, even if it's just for the conversation. You know, it's unfortunate about the passing of Nipsey, um, but if there is any silver lining here is that his death has highlighted a... Um, a definite conversation that needs to be had among young people, among young people of color, among young urban um, communities, um, just about what our responsibility is to those, you know, to the communities that we come from and why fleeing, you know, this, it leads for a long conversation about whether fleeing a community when you have quote unquote make it is the best thing. And then you, you go back to whether or not staying is also the best thing given the way that situation turned out. So that's a really good amount of dialogue that's been going on. Um, and But also since then, we had April 15th come. <laughs> tax, tax day came and went. I hope for many of you it, was a, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But for a lot of people who I spoke to about tax day, it was pretty awful. Um, for those of you who anticipated getting refunds or who get refunds every year, mainly because you have dependents and things you can claim, I'm absolutely positive that you saw a smaller refund. And I'm sure that you were shocked by it. Um, many people I talked to about it who had done their taxes earlier in anticipation of their tax return. And many people, you know, if you if you do your taxes every year and you have the same type of dependence without a major change to the tax code, you will receive a similar um, size of, of, of a refund. In this instance, there was a major change to the tax code, one for which was very confusing, not that clear, and also had a lot of implications that people people thought only were going to impact the rich, didn't realize that there were a lot of implica- implications on the quote-unquote middle class, and, and then um, what some that trickled down to those who were um, 
working class. And so what people saw was that many people who had been anticipating larger refunds, um, you know, a couple of thousand dollar refunds, saw those refunds cut pretty significantly. And so that was kind of the shock of the taxes that came in about February, March. But once you got to April, if you're a person who tends to owe, or maybe you break even, you get a very small refund, or you owe maybe $100, many people this year saw themselves owing thousands of dollars. That is, that's a hard one, right? And again, those people I'm sure waited till April 15th, if not um, filed for an extension. And, and again, you know, it, it's a hard thing. If you owe the government, you would have needed to file by April 15th to not face any penalties. If you don't owe the government, you still need to ask for an extension. You should, um, but you're able to file after the date. If you don't, if you, if they owe you, they're not as stringent about you filing when you, when you, when you're supposed to. I will tell you though, I have not, I have not owed the federal government um, in a few tax cycles. And um, in 2016, I did not file my taxes and they sent me a letter. They, like I didn't file, I just, it just, they owed me. Um, I got, I, I did it. I missed the 15th date. And again, when you pass the 15th, you, the e-filing becomes, you can't, I, if you let go too far beyond the 15th, you can't e-file, which means I had to print it, which meant I had to do something other than just click the button and I didn't want to. And so I just, it just slipped my mind, slipped my mind. I got a letter from the IRS. They're like, hey girl, you did not file your 2000, um, your 2016 taxes and you better. And I was like, well, why? You owe me. But what they say is that basically they have a right to avoid my refund after three years. So now that it's 2019, um, before the tax year 2019. So this year and this year I need to file those taxes or else by the time we get to tax year 2019, which will be next year, um, they'll have the right to, I'll be basically forfeiting my refund. So I will print those and file those taxes. Um, and so it is, it's a hard thing when you end up owing the government, but it's nothing you should fret about. If you're in that situation right now, I'm sure you've already realized, because again, we're two weeks out from the 15th, you can get a payment plan. The federal government, you know, they will give you a payment plan. Payment plans can be very strict, particularly the state. If you live in the state of New York, the state is far more strict on a payment plan than the feds. And if you owe the state, pay the state, because they will garnish your check. They will get to your bank account in a minute. So really, if you if you get into a tax situation, you got to pay them. And that's just it. The issue with this year was that a lot of the deductions that we were used to were either reduced or eliminated. Um, and there were some more cutoffs that were inserted about salary and things that would have made maybe certain things that you were used to excuse me, being eligible for that you were no longer eligible for. Um, keep in mind that as you continue to increase your income, there are some things that you may have been um, eligible for prior that you're no longer eligible for. So there's um, this, this is something that impacts a lot of of, um, of people who are working, and I think it's something that we should all be rallying around getting changed, is that you're able to claim the interest on your student loans um, as part as a deduction up to $80,000. The problem is that that's a very short-term solution. Um, many people who have advanced degrees or, you know, bachelor's degrees or master's degrees, you know, they can get to earning 80 and still have a tremendous amount of, of debt underneath them, and to not be able to claim that on the taxes is really... It's really not that beneficial, you know, it becomes less beneficial. So you may have kind of grown beyond that. And that's one that that's one that can be a really big deduction for you, particularly if you don't have children or other things to deduct dependents, really. Um, but when you when it boils down to it, a lot of people owed this year or got smaller refunds. And that can that speaks to our normal episode that we do around this time of year, which is about how your tax refund 
one should not, your tax refund is not a windfall. It shouldn't be used as a windfall. And also the fact that it doesn't allow you, you shouldn't be planning um, major things in your life like um, Christmas, basically, you know, running up the, the, the debt in Christmas time with the anticipation of the tax refund because we see now when in, in uncertain times, the tax the taxes can change, the tax refund can change and, um, and you can end up in a situation where you overplayed your hand. So this is kind of a good example of why we talk about why we really have to be mindful of that. Also, we I really want to talk, I'm going to talk briefly because it can be very nuanced, but just to keep in mind that you should be very mindful of your, um, of your deductions that you have. So when you go to do your, when you go to, go to get a job and you file and you fill out your, your, your form for your deductions, you are able to select the amount of deductions that you're going to take, which is what drives the amount of taxes on federal and state level are taken out of your check every two weeks. If you claim zero exemptions, right? If you say, no, I'm, I'm claiming zero, the government will take the most amount of taxes out of your check with the anticipation that you will have nothing to claim and to receive deductions for when you do your taxes. So it's helping you to cover your tax rate, cover the amount of taxes you're going to owe at the end of the year. The lower the number, the more taxes they take out. The higher the number, the less taxes they take out. So there are people who play different games. So some people will say, let me say, I'm going to do zero, let them take as much as they as they need, and I'll get it back on the refund. Other people are like, I'm going to claim 10, get all my money right now, and I'll shake this out at the end of the year. There's a middle ground five, you know, you can do something in the middle. But what it is, what it speaks to is that if you are a person who is who would like to not, would prefer not to have to pay the government, and you can look at how your taxes have gone in the last couple of years. You know you don't have any significant deductions to take. Then you should claim a lower, you know, you should let them take as, many, as much taxes as possible so that you don't owe. If that's how you feel, you don't want to have to pay at the end. Some people are on the other side of it and say, no, I want all my money this at this time where I can spend it, save it, do whatever I want. And at the end, I will pay what I owe. Now that, again, if you're a person who's going to be responsible enough to save and do everything and pay and have the money available to pay, then that's then that can work out. But you have to be mindful of that. Don't just do what you've always done. You know, especially now that you see the taxes have the tax um the tax laws and things have changed and so you may have gotten caught off guard this year. Don't be caught off guard next year. You know, make make adjustments if necessary to your um to your the the, the number of deductions that you're taking uh, at work so that you can find a proper balance that will help you so that at the end of the year, you know, if you're a person who waits for this big refund, you want it, you know, again, you might've been disappointed this year when it wasn't as big as you anticipated. And so you, and, but also if you're someone who say, look, I can't deal with a $4,000 tax bill every, you know, at the end of the the year, then you may want to keep your exemptions at zero and just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'll deal with that at the end of the year. I'll, I'd rather get a small refund and not owe than um, have to deal with owing, especially if you know yourself that you'll spend the money up and do everything. So this is something to keep in mind after we kind of gotten through the rush of tax day, April 15th is passed. We're done with that. Now it's time we can get to, um, you know, get through the whole idea that, you know, the tax, like tax season is over, but we're already um, uh, over a quarter through the year. So even if you are right now thinking about and you're listening to this podcast and saying, hey, maybe I should make my changes. Keep in mind, those changes will only impact you now going forward. So we're, we're, at, we're at the end of April now. We're talking about for the next, what is this, April the next nine months, eight months that you will have, this will impact you. So just keep that in mind. If you want to make some changes, now is the time to do that. If, if you're looking for it to impact 
your, you know, 19 taxes, your 2019 taxes. So that's a little recap of tax of tax season, tax day being over. Um, for those people who work in the accounting business or who work in, on taxes, I know they are relieved. They're probably somewhere vacationing and good for them because it's a t- it's a tough time between January and April for those who work in the taxi in the tax industry. So big ups to them. Um, so I wanted to cover that. I'm glad we were able to kind of touch on that. And then it was a um, it was an interesting thing that came out in the Washington Post uh, this week. There were actually two articles, but one article spoke about vacations and why you don't deserve a vacation if you're in debt. And I said to myself, I could have wrote this article myself because I say that all the time. You do not deserve what you cannot afford. And this article specifically was speaking about the fact that you can, if you have a bunch of debt, like credit card debt, and but you save up cash money to then go on vacation, it doesn't really... um makes sense and, it, and you should be using you should be doing everything you can to eliminate debt because what, uh, what the article speaks about is that on average um, people are carrying debt for three to five years like an initial transaction of debt like so I bought I bought a, a you know a, a sofa on my credit card and I'm going to spend the next three to five years paying it off which means now my hundred my thousand dollar sofa is going to end up costing me three thousand dollars all because I'm carrying the debt in the middle of all that instead of using any money that I could save in order to pay off the thousand dollar charge which now is fifteen hundred two thousand three thousand dollars I'm going to take that money and go on vacation because I deserve a vacation and what that's speaking to is the counter is counterproductive to your your ongoing financial health to do things like that because it's more expensive for you to carry debt than it is for you to forego a vacation and take that money and, cut and pay off the debt. You know, debt is very expensive. The interest rates on these credit cards are tremendous. You are, you are paying so much more for things than you actually should, that they, than they actually cost and, the, and, and greater than the value that they have. And the question becomes why? Why are you doing that to yourself? If you have an opportunity to save up money, use it to pay off debt. Um, and, and, and I know that people think they do deserve a vacation and I always will say to you, it's not that you don't deserve a break from work, but you do not deserve to travel, spend money on airfare and hotels and, 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 and spending money over the fact of your financial health, which will pay off your credit card debts and give you an opportunity to have a better financial standing. So just keeping that in mind is that you sh- you know we we have to get beyond the entitlement that comes with with our finances. Take the emotion out of that and and speak to practical things and know that that you're not always going to make every decision correctly. You're not going to always do everything that would be in the total best interest of your finances. But you don't have to do things that are absolutely detrimental to the long term financial health to your long term financial health. And going on vacation and spending a thousand fifteen hundred dollars on a vacation when you have debt that you've been carrying and no plan to pay it off. It's really counterproductive, and I was in, I was happy to see that this article in the Washington Post was there, and I shared it um, on on financial emancipation page on Facebook, just so people can like just take a look at it, take a read at it, and see what you think about that. Um, then there was another article actually also in the Washington Post. I'm not sure why. Well, I subscribe to the Washington Post. Maybe that's why I'm getting these articles. Um, but this one was about um, destination weddings, where it's April. Um, so now I'm skipping to another topic. I'm going to cover a lot today. <laughs> um, this is what happens when I don't talk to you guys enough. Um, so it's April and we're approaching wedding season. Ooh, wedding season. And this article was speaking about destination weddings and why they are basically the worst thing you could ever do. Um, and I, you know, I, I saw that. I said, oh, the worst thing? Uh, I don't know. I particularly don't, I have never actually been to a destination wedding. Um, 
not sure why. Um, I don't think any of my friends ever got married in a destination wedding. Uh, I also, though, would decline a destination wedding if the person wasn't very, very close to me. Or they weren't going someplace that I was either A, already planning to go or really had a strong desire to go. Um, I would decline and just send a gift. Um, I find the idea of a destination wedding to be uh, incredibly selfish. <laughs> and it is that way intentionally. The person doesn't want to deal with all the things that come with um, with the wedding of having a wedding here. And so they go to a destination uh, you know, with the idea or the anticipation that it's going to cost them less. And without the thought process about how it's going to cost you more. And I don't think I should pay plane tickets and hotels and outfits and, you know, whatever, just so you can get married. Not doing it. But I will send a lovely gift. But I understand why the people do it. And sometimes people also do it to weed out people who they don't really want to come to their wedding um and so they you know they they say they have a destination wedding knowing that most of the people they know are not gonna be able to afford it and they do that intentionally because so that those people don't end up coming to their wedding but it doesn't have to be that they weren't invited it was that you know they did they couldn't make it or whatever a backwards way into you know <laughs> weeding out those who you really don't want at your at your wedding again that's not something that I would you know I I subscribe to I figure just don't invite people but I don't have those pressures or family that other people have so I think that's the way people get around that. But this article was basically speaking to how a destination wedding is really just um, imp- an imposition on people who you're inviting. And a lot of people will feel badly about it. Again, often if you're, if you're a part of a couple, it's now both of you. You have to get two plane tickets. You got to get, if you got kids, you got to get sitters for the kids. But like, it's a lot. And it's a lot to ask of people, including the fact that Usually there's a special group of people who get asked or demanded that much from a wedding, which is the people in the wedding party. And, and so now you're saying everybody is essentially the wedding party and everyone has to make this huge investment because you're getting married. And so the article really was just talking about why that is really a really selfish way to approach a wedding. And it really um, speaks or it, it makes the wedding itself or your wedding or your marriage or your union something that is really financially challenging for other people and there are people who who can't say no or who don't like to say no and so they'll go into credit card debt and stuff to go to someone's destination wedding um you know i i implore people to always do what is right for them financially no matter what and so if that means having to decline an invitation and again send a gift um you should do that again barring someone very very close to me getting married in a destination wedding i would not go um you know i i just wouldn't um, but that's just me. Uh, again, it, it's my vacation being dictated by somebody else, especially if you guys have been listening to this podcast for a while. I am very serious about my vacations. So I'm very serious about the hotel I stay in and things like that. So then it's for it to be dictated by somebody else just so I can go and participate in your wedding. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, I, again, barring it with someone very, very close to me, um, or a location and destination I was like dying to go to. So I thought that was also a very interesting thing. And I think it all ties together um, in a very, the way that finances always do and the way that money always does is that we, we, we focus on money in such an emotional way. And it's funny because I work in public finance and I even see, because I am the person who is responsible for managing all of the money. I even see the emotion in that. I see the way that people who I work with, 
who who have to come to me about things when it comes to money and and they give me these long drawn out stories about why they need something and I just get down to the practical business of it like listen you could tell me over and over again that you need that and it's the most central thing that we need in order to do business here and I can still tell you no and not telling you no because I'm not validating what you need I'm telling you no because we can't afford it and and I also will say, hey, if it's that essential, then you have to give up something else. And that's usually where the conversation shifts. And and I, I wanted to tell that part of the story. I don't really talk a lot about work, um, what I do, but I wanted to tell that part of it to, to kind of give you guys the insight as to where that comes from for me. Like I do that every day, all day. I work with people all day who want everything. They want to be able to do everything to carry out the mission of what they want to do. And every single thing is is intense to them. And a lot of it is, you know, it's not necessarily life or death, but it definitely has a real world impact. And even still in those moments, it's my responsibility to say, hey, you have to, um, you have to decide, you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. This ha- This cannot be, this cannot be just because you want it. So now you have to have it. It, it can't be that. It has to be, um, uh, it has to be a justification. And if you need it, and if it's as essential as you're saying it is, then you have to sac- You have to be willing to sacrifice something else. And that's the part that it, it struggles. You struggle. I struggle with even at work because that's just not people's mentality when it comes to gratification or need. It really is about oh, I need what I need right now. We'll deal with the rest of that later. And so it's the reason why every business organization and place of, of where money is concerned has a person who's, whose sole job it is to be responsible for the money because let those who are mission-driven be responsible for money in those environments, it would never work because they'd want to do everything. And it's the same thing in your household. It's the same thing in your own personal finances where if you don't allow yourself to have a portion of yourself to be the CFO, to be the person who's like, listen, I got to focus solely on the money exclusive of emotion, or even in your relationship, if, the, if you're in a partnership where there's two of you in managing a household of money, someone's got to be the one who just really looks at the dollars and cents and, and practicality of it, even beyond the emotion of it. And so that's when you get to the person who's going to exclude what we deserve, who's going to stop thinking about how we feel about it and really say, hey, a one plus one is two and we got one. So we can't have, you know, we can't move like we got two if we got one. You need that. And so if you want to organize your household and your relationship and decide who's going to be the CFO, who's going to be the person who's going to manage this money exclusive of emotions, who's going to be the one who's going to be practical. And if you are not that person, it's, it's a completely fine, no matter what role you play in the household, to see that to someone else who is more fully equipped. If two of you are both, you know, emotional and, 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 um, and people who are, are impulsive decide who's the least of the two and go with that but there has to be some practical management around money that's the purpose of this podcast that's the purpose of this mission of financial emancipation is to take all of that stuff out of it and to let at least this space be a place where a conversation occurs around finances that's not rooted in these deep seated emotions that are like where money is being used to fill voids and and fill space and, 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 and in a way that's irresponsible, you know, it's not to say that you should not use the money that you earn to live a life that will make you feel good, right? You should do that, but you should also do that responsibly. You should also do that in a way that allows you to be financially responsible. Now, again, the word responsibility, people will say, oh, you know, you only live once. You can't take the money with you when you die, etc." That is a fact. You cannot take the money with you when you die, but I'm going to circle this all the way back around to young Nipsey Hussle, right? He 
no, he had no idea. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but I'm assuming that he didn't know that the journey he was on was going to end when he was 33 years old with a 10 year old, a one year, a two year old, you know, a woman who is dependent upon, you know, his, his love, uh, his family who are all de- pretty much dependent upon his mission, his, his, his work to go. And I'm sure that nothing in his mind was saying, Hey, I ain't going to be here for the long haul. Right. But if, if he had been living his life financially in a way, and we have seen this before with artists and, and celebrities and things and, and the people in our own lives, if, if, if you're living the life of the YOLO, where nothing matters, where who cares, you don't know how long you're going to be here, you can't take the money with you when you're gone. No, you can't. But what you leave behind is, is the decision, right? That is the decision you're making every day. So no, you can, saving money now, if you save your money and you, you can't do anything with it when you're dead. And yes, you should live a life of value because once it's over and the lights go out, it's out, right? And for you, the journey has ended. And so whatever you want to do to increase the, the way in which you can live the life that you have, which is limited, we all know this, you should do that. But the reason for the responsibility is about what you leave behind. So if you're somebody out here living YOLO, but you don't have life insurance, once you close your eyes for that last time, your part of this, is, your issue with this is over. Your, your situation with this is done. There's nothing else for you to think about, right? But the people who you love and the people who you leave behind now have to do a GoFundMe or have to scrap together money and be stressed out after you're already dead to now try to bury you or try to put you in the ground, right? And try to deal with your debts and deal with the things that you've left behind. So yeah, you yourself, that's you're over, you're done, lights out, gone. Wherever you believe you go after that, that's where you want to. And no, your money can't do anything for you there. But here you've left behind people. So if Nipsey Hussle was out here just blowing money fast, never thinking about the future, never investing in anything, never doing anything responsible, just saying, fuck it, I'm just here for the short time, so I'm gonna do whatever I want. He has two children and a whole family. Then he would have needed, his family would have needed that GoFundMe that someone was trying to set up. And they would have needed these things because he would not have done his part. So if you look at what his life looks like, it looks like he was living a perfectly good life. He looked happy. He looked like he was having a good time. He was smoking all the weed he wanted. He was drinking. He was driving nice cars. I I believe, I'm sure he had a nice home. He had five chains on his neck. He, his, his girlfriend looked like she was living good. The kids were living fine, going to good schools, everything. But at the same time, there was something going on in the background that allowed it to be that his family appears to be set up financially. And it's about leaving something behind. And so that's a really high example. You're talking about somebody who's a celebrity who's making millions. But if you look at just yourself, again, I bring to that, how many of us have seen people die and there's no life insurance, there's no money left behind, everything's in shambles. The only thing that you can do and living in a responsible way now, not only does it help you in your in your in, in your in the meantime, yes, it helps you because guess what? You really do need to make sure that you can pay your bills and that if your car goes out, you'll have a little savings in your money and that something comes up. And if you buy a house and then your, your boiler goes, like you do need to do those things for for the continual living. But it's also the afterlife. It's also after you have gone, who you leave behind. If you're a person who has no family, nobody, there's no one's gonna be responsible. No one's going to be left. You're not leaving anything behind. Then I guess that's up to you how you want to live and for what it means after the fact. If no one loves you, no one cares about you, no one's going to be worried, you drop dead, no one's going to try to bury you, then then that's fine. But if you are a person who has people who care about you who are going to be left behind if something happens to you, you want to be responsible enough in your life. And again, this is not about perfection, but you want to think about your life 
also after you're gone. So the basic things, getting life insurance, making sure you have, um, you know, some, some, something to leave for your children. If you have children, um, if you're, if you're a parent, whether you're the custodial parent or not, and you are walking around without life insurance, you are someone who really is taking a risk and you're risking it all. And I don't think you mean to do that. So I want to remind you, if you are a parent, a guardian, or someone who is, has a person who is dependent upon you financially, you should not be walking around without life insurance. I don't believe no one should walk around without it, but definitely if you have people who are dependent upon you. I am a living example of this. I am a person whose mother died when I was 19 years old. My mother had great amount of life insurance for myself and my sister, and she had a home to leave us. If my mother had not, I don't know what would have happened to my sister and I. My father was in no position to kind of take care of our lives. You know, my mother was the person who took care of us. You know, he, my father took care of us as well, but he, my mother was the responsible one. My mother was the one who we depended on. If she had just said, nah, fuck it. You know, I don't know where my sister and I had, would have been, particularly in those years right after she died, where it was like, okay, I was still in college. I had college bills that need to be paid and, and, and I needed to go through life and finish college and be able to graduate and, and t- take a job that, you know, take a job where I wasn't making as much money, but I could still sustain myself because my mother had left this life insurance for us. Like that is a really important thing and it really saved us, you know, and it made the process of having lost the most important person in the world to me a little bit easier because I wasn't worried about how I was going to put food in my mouth. I wasn't worried about quitting school so I could get a full-time job and two jobs. My sister wasn't thinking she needed to quit everything so she could take care of me. Like that wasn't what happened. And so, yes, my mother was gone and it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy, still a tragedy to this day, but it really was this way in which she decided that she wanted to make sure that she left behind. She didn't leave behind mess. Yes, it was pain and grief and, and, and it's stuff that again, almost 20 years later, it's, 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 it's endless that grief. And, 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 you know, that, that point that Lauren had made in, in the, in the, in service she spoke about was that grief is the final act of love and it goes on forever. And so the fact that the pain and the grief is going to be there, you don't want to add in the financial part of it. And so I'm grateful for that. I learned that from my mother. She always spoke about that and she did it for herself. And I would always make sure to do that for anyone who was dependent upon me. So I implore you guys to do the same. And so, I mean, we covered a lot today, right? We covered <clears throat> financial empowerment. We covered taxes on and tax day and what you should do about your deductions. We covered the, the emotional part of finances, again, as it relates to vacations and those articles in the Washington Post. And we wrapped it up by discussing why there's a there's a need to be responsible now in your life and how it will impact the after life um for for those who are still here after you're gone and no longer you know because people always say you can't take the money with you well you can't take it with you but you can sure work enough so that it's not you're not your your absence is not so much of a um something not something that will really continuously inflict additional pain on people who are left behind beyond the pain of the loss of of you So I know that's pretty morbid. And so I'm not going to end there. I'm going to end on a higher note of saying, you know, we're looking forward to spring. I'm really looking forward to May and June and and those months, um, recommitting, um, some, some energy to, to myself and to the things that I find to be purposeful for me. I've been really in a deep dive and that's also part of, I took a little break from the podcast as well. I was in a deep dive in my own, um, kind of spirituality and my own kind of just getting myself um, in line, I kind of felt a little bit of, I felt a little out of line, out of alignment. I didn't feel like things were kind of sitting properly with me. So I needed to kind of shift the energy. I was able to burn some sage in my house and really kind of open up 
that energy and then really focus on myself and trying to kind of really align my mind and my spirit um, together. And so I had felt like they were a little off. So I needed some kind of shifting, right? And realignment. I think I've been doing that. And I'm going to continue to work on doing that. And so I'm looking forward to May and June, what the spring, the remainder of spring and summer will bring, um, bring for myself, bring for financial emancipation. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. So I encourage you all to really give me, um, give me some feedback, some topics you want to hear about, some things that you want to talk about as we lead up to the, um, to the spring, to the rest of spring and through summer, the ways in which you, you are consuming the podcast. I can see from the stats, but I want to just hear from you guys. You can send me an email at Malik, M-A-L-I-E-K at the financial emancipation.com. You can shoot me a DM on, on fate on Instagram, send me a message on Facebook. Any way you want to communicate with me, leave comments under the YouTube videos. You can find me on YouTube at, um, at the financial emancipate financial emancipator on YouTube. I'm got a bunch of videos up there. You can go check out some old videos. I'm gonna start putting up some more videos. Um, and just check me out. You can leave comments. Talk about what you you know what you want to talk about. If you see things and you're you know you're reading something or you see something you're like oh this would be great for the um podcast. Shoot it to me. I'm open to that kind of stuff. I want to hear about, I want to talk about what you guys want to hear about. Um, I can always talk about what I want to talk about, but it's more important to me to, for me to talk about things that you guys want to talk about. And I really want to be able to start um, start taking your questions and responding them. I want to do that again. I had done that for a while in the past. And I want to start doing that again um, just to address some of the questions that you guys have. So definitely... Um, shoot me that information, email me, contact me. Um, if you're not already doing so, follow me on Facebook at Financial Emancipation and um, and check me out there. So it was good to talk to you guys again, be back in, in the zone of Financial Emancipation. Again, it, getting that whole, getting myself aligned makes me a better in a better position to provide you guys with what I consider to be better content. So um, thank you again for listening and I hope that you'll be back as we continue to discuss the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Have a great day.